0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, staff evangelist Josh Davis is here to continue his discussion on dinosaurs, dragons, and the Bible with author and teacher Bodie Hodge. Then a little later, we'll look at the latest headlines from the end times with Dr. Larry Spargimino and Marvin McIlvaney. Make plans today to attend one of our upcoming prophecy conferences. August 11th and 12th, Bill Federer leads a lineup of speakers ready to bring clarity to the chaos in Colorado Springs. On Saturday, September 30th, we'll have a special one-day conference in Des Moines, Iowa, featuring Michael Hoggard, Greg Patton, Josh Davis, Larry Stamm, and Micah Van Hus. Our largest conference of the year will be a massive three-day conference in Columbus, Ohio. October 26th through the 28th. Over a dozen speakers, including our special keynote speaker, Jonathan Kahn. Registration for these conferences is open right now. Call 1-800-652-1144. Don't miss your opportunity to hear and see Jonathan Kahn live. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. There you'll find the complete lineup of speakers, topics, and schedules swrc.com, click on events, or simply call 1-800-652-1144. Josh Davis and Bodie Hodge are ready for part two of Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible.
1: I'm privileged to be joined one more time by author and speaker with Answers in Genesis Bodie Hodge, and we are discussing his brand new book, Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. Bodhi, it's great to have you back on Watchmen on the Wall.
2: Hey, it's great to be here again.
1: Yesterday, we spoke about the philosophy, if you will, of dinosaurs and what the church can do to jump into this moment and to interact with the culture in these scientific ways. On today's program, we're really going to get into more of the specifics about dinosaurs and where we see them in Scripture. Your book is filled with questions and a lot of biblical answers. And I love that emphasis that you put on these things. This is a very easy read. And who would you say is the target audience for this resource, Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible?
2: Well, let me tell you a little bit about my past on that one. I used to do a lot of teaching to youth. I loved working with the junior high and high school kids. They were great for asking questions. They really liked to dive into it. Now, When I do a lot of my writing and do a lot of my speaking, I try to gear it toward that age level, so junior high, high school. And here's what I found. If I can do junior high, high school level, the adults and the college students, they can follow it really well. And even some of those sharp juniors down there, they wouldn't have a problem with it either. Mm -hmm. So when I wrote this, I had in mind a big demographic of people. The average person, I, you know, I would go so far as to say, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds could easily read this book. There may be a few places in there. It's going to jump up in higher level, some semi-technical stuff. But by and large, they're going to get a lot out of it. But, yeah, your average layman in the pew can read this. Even scientists and theologians can read this and go, oh, wow, there's some pretty good nuggets in here. So I tried to write it at a pretty big level. So uh, hopefully I did that.
1: Yeah, you certainly did. I enjoyed reading it. It was filled with all kinds of wonderful facts and figures, but it is highly accessible and easy to read. And I appreciate that approach. Why don't we find the word dinosaur in the Bible?
2: Well, the word dinosaur is a new word. 1841, Sir Richard Owen was the one who coined that term, dinosaur and dinosauria, and used it publicly. And it means terrifying or terrible lizard, but the point is, it's a new word. A lot of our English translations were done in the 15 and 1600s. Probably the most popular out there is the King James Version. We've had a lot of updates on that, and most people don't realize that most of our modern translations, one way or another, still have roots and ties to the King James. But the point is, it's a new word. We're not going to find it in these older translations and the influence from these older translations on the newer translations. So you're just not going to find it. You grab a Bible search program, search dinosaurs, it's just not there. But there is another word that was used in these Bibles, especially these older translations that included creatures like dinosaurs. And that brings us to the subject of dragons.
1: And let's go there. We spoke about this some yesterday, but for those who weren't able to join us, are dinosaurs and dragons the same thing?
2: I would say all dinosaurs could be called a dragon, but not all dragons are dinosaurs. And Let me explain why. For those of you who weren't here yesterday, a dinosaur has a very specific definition. They are land reptiles that have one of two hip structures. Now, the word dragon is more of an overarching term. It included flying reptiles and sea reptiles, and even things like crocodiles could technically be called a dragon. Dinosaurs could also be called a dragon. So, there is that unique difference. Dinosaurs could be called a dragon, but not all the dragons would fit the description of a dinosaur.
1: And that's a very important distinction that we keep in mind as we go forward. And one of the fascinating topics that you touch on is the role of dinosaurs and Noah's flood. And there's so much debate and discussion about this. Were they on the ark? Were they not on the ark? Were dinosaurs on Noah's ark? And did any of these dinosaurs go extinct before the flood?
2: You know, those are all great questions. I would say, without a doubt, dinosaurs were represented on board Noah's ark. And the reason for that is you go back to Genesis chapter 6, Two of each kind of land-dwelling, air-breathing animal were on board the Ark. Of course, there were seven of the clean. So they came on board the Ark, and they've come off of the Ark as well. But what's significant are the dinosaurs that did not get on Noah's Ark. These are the ones that are fleeing from the Flood, they're running, they're trying to get to higher ground, and they just can't get there. Sooner or later, the flood catches up to them and washes them into place. And that's where we find these massive dinosaur graveyards in different parts of the world, Mongolia, China, here in the United States, different other places as well. And that's the bones that we're digging up. That's what we're studying. Largely, we're looking at dinosaur bones that were laid down during the flood of Noah's day.
1: I remember when I was probably in fifth or sixth grade, Jurassic Park was coming out, different things like that. And this field of paleontology that as a 10 to 12 year old kid, I'd never even heard of. And then all of a sudden all my friends are saying, I want to be a paleontologist. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What, what is that? And and, (laughs) yeah, it became so popular, especially since the Jurassic park movies and those kinds of things. And the study of dinosaur fossils and putting these things together really bled into our modern culture and popular culture our dinosaur fossils. Let's let's go to speaking about some of the fossils and the fossil record, and maybe explain for us the the fossil record and the rock layers and, and how that works before we get into specifics about the dinosaur fossils.
2: Sure, I think that's actually really important. Prior to the the seventeen eighteen hundreds, when people looked at the rock layers, which we find all over the world, some of these rock layers, you know, if you look at them all, they're they're miles deep. We define those different rock layers by what's in them, certain fossils. You know, Sometimes they're made out of sandstone. Sometimes they're limestone or things like that. But when we look at these different rock layers, prior to the 171800s, 1800s, everybody looked at it as though it was some sort of massive global flood. And that makes sense in light of Scripture. But something happened. In the late 17 early 1800s, there were some atheists and some deists. These are people who didn't believe the Bible. They said, hey, let's look at these rock layers, but let's leave the Bible out of it. Now, as soon as you leave the Bible out of it, you've left God out of it, which means God is no longer seen as the absolute authority on the subject of rock layers. So what they did is they started looking at these rock layers, leaving the Bible out of it, leaving a global flood out of it, saying, hey, how long would it take for these rock layers to form? And they can watch them all day long. They don't form very fast. So they assumed these rock layers were laid down slowly and gradually over millions and billions of years. And that became the debate was those rock layers evidence of the flood of Noah's day, or is it evidence of slow, gradual millions of years? And that's the battle we're in in today's culture. Out in the secular world, and this is what's being trained to kids of gener- generations now, you know, I was taught this, that these rock layers are evidence of millions of years, and they put periods and eons and eras on those rock layers. Now here's the thing. Creationists and evolutionists, we all agree on the rock layers. There really is a Cambrian rock layer. There really is a Cretaceous rock layer. Where we disagree is the timing about how long it took to lay them down. Where the world has millions and billions of years for those rock layers, we're looking at the vast majority of those rock layers saying, wow, these are from the flood of Noah's day. Now, of course, we've had some rock layers since then, volcanoes, local catastrophes and whatnot, but most are from the flood of Noah's day. Now, that brings us to those three famous rock layers that have the dinosaurs in it, the Triassic, the Cretaceous, the Jurassic. And, of course, the Jurassic's famous because of all those movies. But those three particular rock layers contain dinosaurs in it. And that all of a sudden says, "Hey, okay, are these from the flood of Noah's day or are they millions and billions of years old? And that's where the conflict and the battle is. We're looking at the same evidence, though.
1: Yeah, can you explore that a little bit more? Are these dinosaur fossils in the Cretaceous, Jurassic, and Triassic rock millions of years old or are they from the flood?
2: They are from the flood of Noah's day absolutely no doubt about that when we start with the bible there was a worldwide massive global flood it's described in genesis 6 7 and 8 covered the highest mountains It rearranged continents and shifted things around laid down the sediment it was a massive watery catastrophe in fact all these rock layers you see fish in them you see shells in them this was a massive watery catastrophe and when we look at those particular rock layers They were laid down at the same time that Noah and the ark was floating around above them. So with that in mind, when was that? If we tally it up, I don't know if people have ever studied genealogies. You guys might be like me, you know, you're in a Bible study and you're all reading around in a circle and you look ahead like, well, which one am I going to read? And you're like, oh no, it's that, that passage with all the genealogies and the names. Oh Lord, please don't let me be the one that has to read those in front of everyone. Yes. Believe it or not, those genealogies are very important, particularly Genesis 5, Genesis chapter 11. These give you all the chronological data. So you can add up from Adam, who was made on day six, all lived to Abraham. And then you can go from Abraham all the way up to Christ if you really want to go into that detail. But when you add up those genealogies from Adam to Abraham, you get about 2,000 years. Most scholars, Christian or secular or even Jewish, they have all agreed that Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Christ, which is about 4,000 years ago from today. So when you tally that up, all total, you get about 6,000 years going back to Adam. But those flood layers were at the days of Noah, and that was about 4,350 years ago. So when we use the Bible as the basis for that timeline, instead of using the secular timeline, those rock layers jump out as flood rock about 4,350 years ago.
1: One of our colleagues here at Southwest Radio, Micah Van Huss, talks about the polystrate fossils where we see evidence of trees that are intersecting perpendicular to these rock layers and buried straight in there, which is evidence that it had to be very rapidly forming mm-hmm. and uh, growing in there perpendicular. And so we see that in the mountains of Tennessee and different mm-hmm. places across America as evidence of the biblical flood that took place. But when evolutionists discuss these things, when we're taught these things in, in public schools, it's that The dinosaurs roamed the earth and they were kings of this world and then they died off and later on human beings took over and began to rule the earth. Uh, Do we have any evidence that human and dinosaur fossils were buried together?
2: We don't actually find any human fossils and dinosaurs buried together. That doesn't mean there won't be something found. I think, uh, you know, what they've said is we've sifted through about 2% of the uh, flood layers (laughs) So there's there's a lot that's still out there. Wow. But at the same time, I wouldn't expect us to find much for a couple of reasons. First off, when you think of these animals, these animals at creation, God made a lot of them. Now, they were still to be fruitful and multiply, but when it came to mankind, we started with two. So the entire population came from Adam and Eve. Now, there's only ten generations from Adam to Noah. And if you think about that, you know some of these people were not having children until they were 65 years older. Or in Noah's case, he was 500 before he had any children. So it wasn't like their growth rate was anything like our growth rate is today. So there probably wasn't a whole lot of people. And then there was the countdown to the flood. God gave 120 years because people were being violent, and it was horrible. They were being terrible. Imagine if the entire earth is murderers. Wow, the population of the Earth cuts in half in one day. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's this countdown to the flood. I don't know how many people are actually still alive at that particular point that would even have been candidates for fossilization. There could be some. Naturally, there's, there's definitely some. But the other thing is, humans and dinosaurs probably weren't living in the same area. Let's say there was a global flood today, what are the odds a human and a lion are going to get buried together? Right. It's actually very rare. So I wouldn't expect to find that sort of thing. Now, there are some modern creatures that have been buried with dinosaurs. It kind of surprises people. There's a T-Rex that was found buried with a parrot jaw. They're almost touching each other. And, you know, of course, parrots are modern creatures. So, you know, we do see examples of that sort of thing. You know, it was interesting to see the way the world dealt with that one. What they did is they just kind of drew a line between where those were touching. Oh, well, this one's 65, 66 million years old. This other one, uh, you know, is just a... Not too long ago. (laughs) Oh, wow. It's interesting the way that there's mental gymnastics to try to get around those types of things. But, yeah, I discuss this in more detail in the book if people want to look at the references a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, and that's very much worth checking out. And uh, one of the other common explanations, you know, the dinosaurs went extinct or perhaps they evolved into birds. Did dinosaurs just simply evolve into birds?
2: Nope, not at all. And we know that from scripture, because what day were birds created? They were created on day five. They're the flying and sea creatures. So birds were actually around before the dinosaurs existed. We see examples of both of them being buried in flood sediment. In fact, we find quite a few birds in the dinosaur rock layers that have been buried there. But what's happened, because the world believes dinosaurs evolved into birds, they've now taken all the birds out of the classification system and they lumped them under dinosaurs or dinosauria. So all the birds are now considered dinosaurs. That's why they use terms like non-avian dinosaurs or avian dinosaurs and so forth. So every time they find a bird in the fossil record, you know, especially back there with those dinosaurs, they just say, hey, look, we found a a feathered dinosaur, but it's actually just a bird. So Mm -hmm. we have to be very careful of the way that they're trying to treat this particular subject. Birds were around before the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, just like every, all these other creatures that have gone extinct, West African rhinos, dodo birds, and passenger pigeons, they're going extinct for the same reasons, ultimately because of sin that started in Genesis chapter 3.
1: We're visiting with author and speaker at Answers in Genesis, Bodie Hodge. We're talking about his brand new book, Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. You can get your copy today by calling one 800 652 one or visit us online at swrc.com. This is something that you want to get for the 10-year-old in your life, the 15-year-old, or, you know, as we said, the 80-year-old in your life. And maybe you want to study these things more and more yourself. We encourage you to get a copy of this fantastic book. It answers so many questions about dinosaurs, dragons, and the Scriptures. And we're so grateful for this biblical perspective that we need to have. And I remember reading about when Mount St. Helens blew years ago, and there was, I think it was a, a Nike tennis shoe that was buried underneath there, and they did some carbon dating to that, and it came back as millions of years old, and we obviously know that Nike has not been a company for millions and millions of years. They've not even been around 100 years yet, and so what are some of the challenges when it comes to dating these kinds of things through using methods like carbon dating and and those kinds of scientific approaches?
2: Yeah, when it comes to radiometric dating, there's a lot of assumptions that go in behind it. You know, as a material scientist, that's kind of my background, you know, that's what I specialized in 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 mechanical engineering. When we study these types of things, there's a lot of assumptions that go in to try to fill out to solve that equation. For example, you know, how much of a parent decays into a daughter. That's what we call that when one material decays into another, we call it a parent and a daughter. And then we run it into this equation. We have to know the rate. We have to make sure that the rate hasn't changed. We need to make sure no parent or daughter has not been added or taken away from the system. So there's actually a lot of assumptions in there. What I found out is you can get just about any date you want depending on what assumptions you put into that equation. So it's not as scientific as a lot of people tend to think it is there are definitely some problems with radiometric dating models.
1: So how can a person's biblical and scientific beliefs about dinosaurs and dragons really change the world?
2: You know, this is my personal opinion on this. But when people actually start to look at dinosaurs from a proper perspective, it helps them align other aspects of reality into a better perspective as well. And here's where it gets not my opinion anymore god and his word are that absolute authority Mm -hmm. when god and his word are treated as the absolute authority especially in every single area of your life that's where reality really aligns because god is the one who knows everything he's always been there he created everything what we need to do is have this respect for god and his word to say he is the absolute authority let's use the bible like a lens like a pair of glasses by which we look at the world When we look at dinosaurs that way, guess what? We're looking at dinosaurs the way God is looking at dinosaurs. When we look at history, we're looking at history the way God looks at history. When we look at theology or other people or death and suffering or the Tower of Babel, whatever subject it might be, when we're looking through the lens of God and his word, we're going to be better aligned with what he and his absolute nature understands.
1: So what are some next steps for those who are interested? I know we have several pastors and ministers who listen to our program and maybe they want to bring these kinds of truths into your church. I know your book is a fantastic resource that they can put into the hands of the congregation. Maybe there's parents that want to teach their kids. Are there other resources? Are there other things that people can get their hands on that they can begin to invest into young people and to help to change what we're seeing in our culture today along these scientific lines?
2: First thing, like you said, dive into the book, Start reading the book, get through it. Believe it or not, I I set this up as questions. These are questions that I get all the time on dinosaurs. You know, what did dinosaurs originally eat? Why don't we find the word dinosaur in the Bible? Or... You know, does the Bible mention any dinosaurs? What about petroglyphs, cave drawings and etchings? When they dive into this, what it really does is it really helps answer those types of questions. Now, we also have a host of different resources at Answers in Genesis where, you know, we've got some kids' books on dinosaurs. We've got some high-level technical books that look at some of the fossils in a lot more detail. So depending on what level you want to go to, you know, if you want to train the kids or if you want to dive into more scientific details, But another thing I want to encourage people to do is come to the Creation Museum, come to the Ark Encounter. Bring your congregation, bring your youth groups, Because as you walk through the ark, you get a chance to see some of these dinosaurs. You get to see how they fit on board the ark, how they were cared for. When you come through the Creation Museum, you get a better understanding of dinosaurs and the fossils. We have this beautiful allosaur fossil in here, and you can actually see it. It's right there. It's the actual one they pulled out of the ground. So it really is neat to just go to a whole new level. And I want to encourage people to be training kids, training their congregations about dinosaurs as well as many other subjects.
1: Well, Bodie, it's been our delight to have you on Watchman on the Wall these last two days. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us.
2: Thank you, and God bless you, and keep up the great work.
0: The complete two-day presentation from Bodhi Hodge on Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible is now available on CD. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order your copy of this fascinating presentation. Dinosaurs are nearly synonymous with evolution in the minds of much of the world. Studying these answers will help Christian families, church leaders, scientists, and theologians develop greater faith in the infallibility of God's Word and His role as creator. Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible by Bodie Hodge. Get your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order at our website, swrc.com. Dr. Larry Spargimino and Marvin McIlvaney come now to keep us informed with the latest headlines from the end times. Marvin, do you know
3: what this month is? It's the five-year anniversary of child activist Greta Thunberg who said that, quote, climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. Now, it's five years later. Guess what? We're still here.
4: Oh, yeah, I remember her. She was Time Magazine's Person of the Year in 2019. She also gave a speech to the United Nations on climate change in 2019. She raised a lot of hysteria for a while about the world coming to an end, But, of course, no one really knows when it's going to end.
3: Well, we haven't stopped using fossil fuels. Humanity has not been and will not be wiped out as a result. That's a good thing. You know, Greta says she was quoting Harvard professor James Anderson. He now insists his words were distorted. But he also said this, quote, The chance that there will be any permanent ice left in the Arctic after 2022 is essentially zero.
4: Well, the last time I looked, the Arctic was still frozen. I also keep hearing that because the Arctic was melting, that Miami, Florida, and Los Angeles would soon be underwater. But so far, I don't see anybody moving inland. If the city was actually sinking, I think the Democrats would declare a crisis and make everybody move.
3: Yes, the Democrats love a good crisis. But you see, what the Democrats failed to do was study the data. For example, China produces 27.5% of global emissions. That's China alone. They alone produce a quarter of the world's carbon emissions. But is anybody in China going to say, hey, we need to think about the rest of the world. We're nice
4: people. Exactly, Pastor Leary. And how about India and Russia, giant countries who emit metric tons of carbon emissions? Are they thinking about other countries? The real problem is not carbon. It's energy. We need a ton of
3: energy to do almost anything, whether it's agriculture, transportation, building, whatever. For some energy, we have dams, but that won't supply all our needs. We have nuclear, but there is danger in that too. So fossil fuel will have to do until we can come up with a real solution.
4: I agree, Pastor Larry. People seem to think that someday everything will run on batteries, just plug in a battery and off you go. Can you imagine how big a battery would have to be to have a semi-trailer loaded with food headed for a store? How big that battery would need to be? Or how about a train? How many batteries and how big would they have to be to move a loaded train down the track? People yelling the world is coming to an end really aren't helping.
3: Yeah, and how about the carbon tax? Would taxing the people really help? What would the government do with the money to cure climate change? They are thinking uh, of an idea that involves pumping sun-blocking particles into the upper atmosphere. This process of stratospheric aerosol injection—wow, what a fancy name— would involve planes spraying an aerosol-like sulfur dioxide into the stratosphere. This mist of particles would reflect the sun back upwards, shading the Earth. Uh, I don't think I like the idea of the government
4: blocking out the sun. That gives me the creeps. What we have here, Pastor Larry, is a false prophet, and we know what the Bible says about false prophets. Not only do we have people saying the sky is falling, but their ideas on how to fix it are just as bad. I think Greta needs to read the Bible and get saved. Wow,
3: what a trophy of grace that would be. Greta Thunberg converts to Christianity. She's now a missionary in India. She's helping people. But I pray for her, and we all need to pray for her as well.
0: Bodhi Hodge's brand new book, Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible, is a -a one-of-a-kind Christian apologetic resource sure to captivate families, scientists, historians, and theologians. Using the Bible as the absolute authority, Bodhi Hodge provides answers to the most asked questions about these amazing creatures. Go beyond the Hollywood version of these magnificent creatures to discover the truth of these icons of creation and testaments of God's power in the Genesis flood. Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible is available right now. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order your copy of Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. or order on our website, swrc.com. Von Schatzer is back on tomorrow's Watchmen on the Wall program, continuing his look at the real truth behind the Declaration of Independence. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com.